0: Welcome to the Lundahl Project Horse Podcast. We're aiming to make horsemanship more accessible, documenting our own journey as up-and-coming horsemen, and using past experience and mistakes we've learned from to give tips and advice and bring value to others. We don't claim to know it all or have all the answers, but we're willing to share our experience and what we've learned thus far on our horsemanship journey. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for joining us for another episode of the Project Horse Podcast. I am Jake Lundahl here with Luke Lundahl of Lundahl Performance. And today we've got, I think, a pretty good show. We're going to start off talking about the clinic that we just wrapped up last week in Lockhart, Texas, Raptor 77 Arena, the Stock Horse Fundamentals Clinic. This was a clinic that we planned uh, right around the start Of the year when we initially launched our business so we kind of jumped the gun a little bit we didn't uh, we had about a month of preparation to get this clinic going but we figured we need to break the ice somehow and we wanted to kind of beta test a layout and a format of how this clinic would work and see if it was going to be productive see if it was going to be informative and fun for everyone And I think for the most part, on most accounts, we succeeded. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And then in a sort of intermediate training discussion, we're going to talk about our thoughts on hindquarter control and yielding the hindquarters and why that's such a core fundamental pillar of our program. Something we touched on a lot during the clinic, obviously. And then uh, in a more advanced training discussion, another thing we touched on during the clinic, which is kind of an intro to circling our thoughts about how to introduce it how to correct bad habits more on that angle I would say uh, and we'll go from there but anyway to start this off so yeah it started February 16th went through the 18th down in Lockhart which is southeast of Austin and uh, I had a blast Luke you were there helping me probably couldn't have done the clinic without you and what I was thinking there's a lot of ways that we try to be different or that we're trying to kind of do our own thing as far as how we operate our business and I think that's one area where you know um, especially coming from the background we have and the experience we have in places we've worked previously um, we kind of were a little like the people that we worked with didn't really know what to expect as far as like how hands-on we would be and how much how willing we would be to personally jump on the horse or work with it if necessary to help everybody get through the clinic and make tons of progress and um, you know we had a couple people there that they had worked with us previously or they kind of knew a little bit what to expect and then others that had no idea but we're glad that they gave us a chance I mean we're very grateful for that
1: and for the most part I
0: thought we had pretty positive positive
1: feedback. Oh absolutely I had you know the same i really had a good time with that clinic um really my favorite aspect of it was kind of finally kind of bridging that gap towards a foundation and focusing on that but starting to bridge the gap between the foundation and a finished product of a horse that you can go do something with yes and that was for me the most fun part was to finally have a a clinic tailored towards that like The foundation is great but at the same time we have to go and do something like that we had kind of we had like half the class was had was really focused on foundation and had over prepared in that respect and so we had to kind of say all right well that's good and all but now start focusing on the end goal and you need to take this and make it that and so you need to start tailoring your training program to what you envision as your end goal. You need to kind of get out of this foundation phase. You've done enough homework there, and the longer you stay in here, it's gonna actually become more of a detriment to what you're doing. And so you need to start working on your end goal. And then we had the other half of the class that had a lot of experience with the end goal, the cow work, that sort of stuff. And with them, we had to say, now that's great, but come back a little bit to more of the, the setup, the foundation, the dry work stuff, and work on these particular exercises to set the horse up, so when you do go back to that finished product, you have a horse that even has more control and ability to get the job done more proficiently. Yeah, and we're going to talk about a little bit
0: about the exercises we covered, um, and keep elaborating on that in more podcasts as we go. But I want to just mention first off that that was kind of our goal from the beginning. Like you said, we've always been envisioning, and we wanted to. That's why I don't. I don't care that we jump the gun. We got in there and broke the ice on this because I was so eager to find out how can we strike a balance between getting the necessary foundation work done to where you know where it's not completely boring and we don't go anywhere with it uh, where we're exposing people to new things, but we're not we're not so jumping the gun on going and you know just working cattle right off the bat or with no preparation start trying to teach horses turnarounds. That aren't set up for it you know like we're not gonna go completely overboard and leave the foundation in the dust and not even address it either um because there has to be a balance and it's always something we thought about was okay how much preparation do we really need to be able to introduce this other stuff and i think we struck a good balance between let's get the foundation done obviously in a three-day clinic and this is where we're coming from anyway is we've been a part of clinics or attended them in the past when you know as learners where that is the clinic like you just do the bare bones basics on the ground and under saddle and you just get the bare minimum building blocks of the foundation but you don't even get that well established if your horse is green coming into the clinic like you need to take those concepts home and continue working on that but there's a couple of problems with that if your horse like most people that show up to like a foundation level clinic i'd say a, a good third of them are overprepared. the others really do need to be there but then there's a third of the people that consistently show up that are way beyond that as far as their skill set and what their horse is ready for they're ready to move on and they just don't have any direction and so we've been in that situation as well uh, the flip side of that is people that will show up to like a cow horse or a raining clinic with zero preparation, their horse is way too green. And so, the way we formatted this clinic is we started off with a little bit of groundwork day one. We just did the bare minimum groundwork exercises where, you know, we obviously were lunging, yield the hindquarters, although we didn't focus big on Yielding the hindquarters on the ground specifically, we just taught it as part of the lunging. Because honestly, in that initial stage, that's the only reason you even teach it in the first place, is to just get the lunging done Um, uh, and just get some more control of that horse's feet. And so everyone, you know, they, they pass that pretty well. Uh, got a passing grade on the lunging, the flexing, teaching them to back. That was a huge one. That was, that was the biggest thing. And that was one thing we identified right away. And we kind of knew going in, like we need to focus a lot on backing. But once we saw everyone's horses, we then made a point to really focus hardcore on backing during the three days. Anytime that we did groundwork, that's probably the most valuable exercise And one, it's a groundwork exercise that you can actually work on refining that will make a difference, a measurable difference in how that horse operates under saddle. There's a lot of groundwork stuff that I feel like is just filler or that it's nice to have on a horse but it doesn't help you that much in the final equation. Unless you wanna go do like Liberty and play around with like advanced groundwork. Like me personally, I hate groundwork. I just wanna Uh, But I see the importance of it as far as setting a foundation and a cornerstone to build off of. And so we kind of cut down to just what do we need to have on these horses minimum? Okay, they need to, like, we really want to have a good backup on these horses. And we really need to make sure that on the ground, these horses aren't chumping these people. They're not just lazily stepping back. Like, we want some responsiveness. We want some attention. We want some hustle. And so we're really stressing that fact and yielding the four quarters because a lot of these horses had no concept about how to move their shoulder over or very little in fact. And that's another groundwork exercise that it's like, you have to kind of approach it in blocks or stages. You can't just flood the horse all at once and refine it to the max in one session. But it's another groundwork exercise that I see a lot of value in getting good on the ground and you know whereas other stuff you can get it established but it just like there's no point in refining it but i feel like those two things especially are very valuable and things you can refine
1: and it's it's important to to make sure that we note that cutting down this this groundwork and these foundational type exercises under saddle that's for the nature of this particular clinic a a clinic that focuses solely on foundational elements on the ground and under saddle absolutely has a time and a place and is incredibly important and that is those those types of clinics we're going to do as well because we see a lot of value in that but Mm -hmm. this particular clinic is focused on okay you've done the hard work you've got that foundation now rather than kind of just running in circles chasing your tail line out and find Pick a point that you want to go to and apply this with some purpose and go somewhere. Cause you've done the hard work. Now enjoy that. Like put it to use in something that you can enjoy and go have some fun with and kind of challenge what challenge the norms and challenge what you thought was, you know, as far as you could go and just see what you can get done, because you'll you'll end up surprising yourself with where you can go once you've established that foundation. Mm-hmm. Another really valuable thing that we worked on, and this
0: was something that, again, we would never have jumped into this without working with these horses first, especially initially on the ground and seeing how they, like where everybody was at, how they handled pressure, etc. Once we had the green light, another thing we introduced to, I, I don't think anybody in the clinic had had a lot of experience with, backing their horses on the ground with the bridle. Um, Obviously, they all knew how to flex with the halter and with the bridle laterally, and so we went then to backing these horses on the ground with the bridle. Just, I mean, you're killing like a hundred birds with one stone in that exercise. One of the bigger ones that we saw in a lot of these horses was they had a tendency to be very bracy. They were soft left and right, but when you went to take a hold of them with two hands, And draw them back and back them up under saddle, they get very stiff, very kind of uppity in the front end, short strided, not really willing to soften and move back with some dexterity and some hustle and just free up and get back. And, you know, a couple of the horses, in fact, you know, had different problems massively leaning one way or the other. Like they just weren't backing as well as they needed to be, especially in the context of, hey, We need to go work cows with these horses like they've got to have a bet they've got to have a much better they've got to have a lot more draw and a lot better back up and stop and so we introduced that exercise as a way to not only get those horses freed up and backing better but doing it while being soft and being able to mentally accept being put in that bind and having to still move their feet and get
1: back and it's such a great exercise you know i pointed out to uh, one guy in particular who um, really has spent you know a lot many hours getting a solid foundation on his horse, and it was really ready for this thing to move along. Rather, this is such a great exercise. Not as you mentioned, like like you mentioned, getting this horse so much more accepting of pressure and setting them up for all the the backing and rolling back that they would need to do under saddle. Mm-hmm. But a horse that has had a lot of training and a lot of foundational work and knows the drill when you take them to a show or to a trail or whatever and you get them out there and you just start lunging them it doesn't matter matter how many changes of directions you might do or if you just let them run around aimlessly it's kind of like taking the nine-year-old gelding and warming him up by going and doing more round pinning exercises like yes you can do some changes of directions at the at um, lunging. you can I mean, you can change directions till he's blue in the face, but there comes a point where he's had it so much that it means, either it means nothing, and he just does it with a glazed look on his face and just a half-asleep type attitude, or he gets in the trailer and he's like, okay, as soon as we stop and unload, we're going to go lunge around until I stop, you know, messing around. And mm-hmm. so then they, they like get this high from it, preparing, and then they go and you start lunging them and they're they're looking out there, they're flipping their head around, they're pulling They're pulling on the lead rope, they're galloping around, bucking and farting and whatever, having a jolly old time because like, woohoo, here we go, new place, I get to run around and it doesn't matter how many changes of directions you do, it doesn't mean anything if they've had it for years. Yes. And backing a horse around with a bridle is such a great way to get control of a horse's mind, especially in a new environment, because it's the backing a horse up is like the foundational exercise for respect. But you're putting him in a a bind, bending his head around like in a 90 degrees with that rein over the horn, and you're drawing him back around in a circle. And so it's like this redirection. It's like this ultimate redirection on steroids. It's around in a circle and backwards. It's hard to put into words just how powerful that is. Well, maybe uh when we make our next
0: project horse video we could demo that exercise because i think it's valuable you know obviously it takes a little bit of timing and feel you can't just crank them back over themselves to where they're you know rearing up exactly you've got to have some preparation but that exercise and a lot of other exercises we did in that clinic especially with those horses you mentioned um, that guy that brought two that were, I would say, extremely well prepared as far as their foundation goes. Yes. To the point of being a little bit overly programmed as, as far as their lateral softness. That's another thing where that exercise and a lot of other stuff that we did helps those type of horses that are really broke loose left and right. But when you take a hold of them with two hands or you put them in that bind and uh, you know they, they're kind of pre-programmed in a sense that they're looking to kind of get off the bit or in a sense, hide from the bit a little bit bit lost. And so they're lost as far as direction. And you take a hold of these horses and they're like, well, uh, I got to go left or right, left or right. You know, they're basically breaking off of your hands instead of accepting that feel and letting you take them into that bind or, or take a hold of them there and maintain that contact. And that's something that is extremely crucial, especially for what we were doing, where, you know, if you're on a cow, you need to be able to make you need to make quick movements where you need to place that horse you need to take a hold of them and they come with you they don't just break off your hands but then nothing happens in the feet you know that's what a lot of people call it being overly soft or too soft I think that's a little misleading it's it's more like that they're hiding from your hands they won't let they won't accept being taken hold of they break off of the bit and disappear from your hands or they're ducking left or right trying to go that way because that's what they're pre-programmed for they don't know how to accept and that's where that exercise i think really helped those horses of just accept being taken a hold of and having and moving your feet while we maintain that contact with your mouth and just you know accept that soften and move your feet back rather than trying to duck around you know looking for the escape hatch i think that's that's where those horses were very soft and well prepared, but they needed to move beyond that, you know, phase where when you're training the green horse, you've got a massive focus on lateral flexion. Eventually, you have to kind of like you've used that as your initial booster rocket to get off the ground and go somewhere. Sooner or later, though, you've got to detach and continue on. And that's, you know, it becomes a hindrance if you hang on to it too long. Like, it's an important thing to have and reinforce as well. But those horses were very typical of what we see a lot of, which is they're extremely soft to the point of ducking off your hands when you pick up on them, rather than accepting being taken a hold of. And there was a lot of instances of other things we did in the clinic where
1: that came up, you know, it wasn't just in that exercise. Well, I think it's something that, you know, we wanted to really hit on in that clinic because it's something that I know myself personally. I've screwed that up. Royally. Yeah, me too. Like Absolutely. I, I mem- you know, at one point where I was so obsessed with that feather lightness and feeling that you know, basically for lack of a better word, air yeah. on the reins, um, that it was great in establishing that initial response and that lightness and that respect and that control. But like you said, after a while, it's almost like the more broke loose they got. It's like climbing a mountain. And initially, it's kind of a rough climb. It's uphill. But then you eventually get to the peak where the thing is just broke loose and featherlight and, and, you know, you can take a hold of it in whatever manner and it's just there, there, there for you, whatever, and it's great. But if you reach the peak and you keep walking, doing the same things over and over, like you said, it becomes a hindrance. And if you keep walking and you've reached the peak... Doesn't matter which way you turn, you're always you can only go downhill, and it's, then it's just a matter of how fast. And then it goes from I'm here, I'm there, I'm everywhere, wherever you want me to be, I'm here. To then it's like a a spastic worm that's just <laughs> all over the place, and you're like yes. just goes straight, and they're like I'm here, I'm there, I'm, I was over there already, and I'm here yeah. again, you know, and it's all over the place, and so it can be and we've learned this the hard way and it's a matter of taking that and saying okay i've got my foundation now i need to make take that and put it to a practical purpose and get, and yeah. make it you know a t- for a job down the yeah. road rather than just staying here and continuing to try and get it infinitely better and better and better it's get it to a point and now say all right now let's apply some practical nature to this and go on to a job. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely,
0: it's like there's two massively opposed schools of thought out there, and you just need a synthesis of both. Like, there's the, you know, the school of thought that says tons of lateral flexion, lateral flexion, you know, you, when you pick up, they should, you know, when you slide your hand down that rein to bend them around laterally, they should already be coming with you, you know, already anticipating it. They should be feather light. You should be able to pick up and just feel air but still place that horse wherever you need to. And, you know, that is great, especially in the foundation stage. It's absolutely necessary. It's it's necessary that you get that horse responding to pressure in that way in the early stages because there's a lot of other people that don't have that focus. You know, they might pick up and be able to pull the horse around. And yeah, they're coming with you because you're pulling on them. Like, they're not actually thinking about what they have to do in order to get a release of that pressure. That you're just, they're just letting you lead them around by the nose. Right. And that's not true softness either. So, I think the way we look at it is, get them initially super soft laterally, but then develop the other aspect of it, which is that they will accept contact on their mouth and not be looking to hide or, or duck off of the
1: bride. Well, yes, and I think you want you want that softness initially but to a point the whole the whole point of the softness is you're breaking loose those mental blocks of resistance mm-hmm. in them and you, so you want to use that lateral softness that getting them broke to get rid of that so yeah. that you can train on them and minimize the, the fights and the struggles later on But it's finding that, and that's the difficult part, is finding that balance of how much is too much getting them broke loose and how much is not enough. There's kind of a a thin line there you have to find. I think the best way to look at it, and we're still searching
0: for the right, like mix yeah i guess and it's going to be a never-ending development for us as well to to nail down exactly what we're looking for but i think the way we look at it overall is that that lateral softness and that obsession on it in the early stages of training is more a means to an end it's not the end goal to have them that light and and you know disappearing off the bridle because they're just so anticipatory of where of where you're going to place them with your hands you know that's like a getting them super soft early on is a means to an end it helps you achieve your end goal with less fights down the road rather than you know we're just wanting them to get lighter and lighter and lighter till we never have to contact their mouth ever you know that's not the end goal ultimately Um, but we do want the horse soft so like you said it's a difficult balance to Mm -hmm. articulate but that is one aspect of that that we touched on. As far as the riding exercises goes, you know, we did, obviously everyone was able to flex laterally at the standstill. They were able to move their horse's hindquarters around from the standstill. So we didn't spend a ton of time reviewing that. One thing a lot of these horses did need was to just be able to move out on a loose rein on a straight line, be able to lope on a straight line, relaxed, or just move out, have some impulsion in general without it being out of control, and without being lazy and swishy-tailed and sluggish and sticky either. Um, you know, some of the horses in that clinic were very typical of what we see, which is if you let them lope out on a loose rein, they're kind of weaving or ducking or diving left or right, or they've got a, you know, they're massively leaning on the gate or whatever, they are, they're always leaning a certain way. And when you go to take a hold of them to either bend them around or do some type of a transition, they want to be stiff. They want to be bracy. They don't make a smooth transition. You know, whereas like some of these horses, you took a hold of them and they just didn't slow down. They didn't acknowledge it. Other horses, you take a hold of them, they act very shocky and bracy, like fractious almost to where you take a hold of them, the head and, ne- and the neck go up they elevate. They almost climb out of the bridle, and meanwhile, their front feet get, you know, slammed into the ground super hard, braced up and stiff, and it, they they don't have any concept of being able to break down in a smooth, controlled transition, left or right, or being taken into a circle, nice and smooth. It's either 100 miles an hour or bang bang. We do like a jump stop almost, and so getting you know, we did a lot of something we've talked about often which is just transitions on on a straight line just you know going from point to point across the arena on a loose rein on a when loose rein and we talked we hammered this home so much I'm, i i i am almost surprised that we didn't have people's ears bleeding from how much we repeated the phrase make them be responsible for their speed and direction you know just not micromanaging the horse but if they massively leaned left or right you do a bending transition the opposite way, or if you get to the fence, do a transition the opposite way, bend them around to the opposite direction that they're leaning, and we initially, we did those bending transitions, with just direct rain, so you're you're literally just bending them around your inside leg, just isolating just that rib, isolating cage. that rib cage, taking a hold of the inside rain, and then we moved on to introducing some vertical flexion where you're just tipping their nose. You're not bending it around to your toe or to the girth, or you're you're just not bending around to that extreme degree. You're still asking them to be soft, but you're more taking a hold of both hands, driving them up softly into their face getting a little frame uh, and also maintaining that forward motion and having their nose basically softening to the point of their shoulder rather than all the way around laterally. And that was a big learning curve for several of those horses in that clinic because I'll let you elaborate on this, but we've talked about before how sometimes, or not sometimes, but you get to a stage where bending them around like that with just your inside leg and just the direct rein and bidding them around to that extreme degree is good initially, but if that's all you ever do, you start to run into problems where they're kind of snaking around turns and circles like a caterpillar, just letting their rib cage, letting their shoulder, everything just bow to the outside and just sag and lean. and It almost becomes like a crutch. It's like easier for them to just let everything sag in a C-shape through their body instead of then when you go to take a hold of them with both hands pick them, you know, drive them up into their face and keep their body straighter then they don't know where to go with themselves and that's a a hole that we exposed when we started doing more bending with vertical and taking a hold with
1: both hands rather than just bending them around with the direct rein well then that's something that we talked about a lot in the the project horse series with Luther and Tangle is doing this particular exercise when you've got their head bent around like that there comes to a point in time where they get to where everything just kinda has to follow in a particular way. When you have them been around that deep, you pulled them around that far, their their shoulders, ribcage, and hindquarters kinda has to just go in one general direction. And mm-hmm. it's a bit difficult to isolate what's moving where and dictate, okay, what am I feeling? Where's everything going? Because it's so been around in such a tight circle. But when you let things go out to just like the point of their shoulder, it's almost like they're lost because they're they're almost trapped and comfortable when you're holding them there so deep and you're almost protecting them. But as soon as you let it go to the point of that shoulder, it's like everything is like, where do I place my shoulder, my rib cage? And you can feel everything just completely go to pot so much more Mm -hmm. when you only take them that far because you expose that horse from them just kind of letting you pull them around in one particular space to now exposing how are they really moving on that circle. Yes, And
0: one thing, like conventional wisdom says, when you start taking, you know, you start softening them less to where their nose is just tipped, like to the point of their shoulder, instead of you taking them deep all the way around laterally, you know, conventional wisdom often plays out that you start you know, they're just kind of wonky. They're all over the place with their body. Often they're hanging their rib cage out because they're used to just bending around real deep or oftentimes in the case of the, those couple horses that you worked with a lot and you rode a lot specifically, um, they just, they keep trying to offer to come around further and deeper laterally and, or they're trying to duck off the bridle instead of allowing you to maintain contact with two hands with their nose tipped while you use your legs to drive them up to their face and maintain some collection. It's like they're, they're weaving with their body parts underneath you trying to escape because they're lost, and they're also trying to escape with their face, trying to go deeper, trying to go left
1: and right, they don't know what to do with themselves, uh, etc. Yes, and not, not only are you, by taking less bend, you're really exposing just how broke and controlled that horse is and willing to stay on that circle and up underneath of himself but like like you just mentioned a couple of those horses we had to go to that particular exercise jogging literally we're doing the same thing transitions on a straight line but now using both reins yes and we had to go to that exercise because some of those horses when we take them on that circle yes their their body was kind of out of whack and they were lost from their shoulders on back because they didn't know how to carry themselves when they weren't pulled all the way around to their toe but we almost had to catch them with the outside rein because as soon as we'd take that nose they were like oh gotta get around to that toe i need yeah. to be safe that's they, that's another thing they were, they were thing. begging for that comfort spot that, and we had to like say no nope, no nope, nope, yeah. come back here that's we had to like catch them and make them that's another that's rain.
0: another thing i was going to say is that several of those horses rather than you know they might they might have some tendency to bow their ribs and stuff to the outside. But a lot of those horses, as soon as you went to take inside rein, they actually had a really bad habit when we started using two hands of wanting to dive bomb the shoulder to the inside of the circle. It really massively exposed because that, if you're taking them around super deep to where their spine and their entire body behind their head and neck has no other choice but to be in a C shape, in a curve, it kind of hides the tendency in some horses to want to dive the shoulder in. As soon as you straighten their body up a little bit and just tip the nose and start driving them up into their face, in a couple horses it really exposed their desire to just, you know, you know, do the Douglas dive bomber to the inside of that circle with the shoulder. You know, to where they're almost completely turning over and just diving to the inside to where, like you said, we had to use outside rein on a couple horses Just to keep them on the circle Um, and I actually had to teach bending to one horse in particular with using some outside rain from the start because as soon as I went to pick up on inside rain they just wanted to just run that way with their shoulder to the point where they were just collapsing everything to the inside which is another problem that can get hidden
1: by just bending them around deep laterally with direct rain right and not only Having to catch them with that outside rein to stop the shoulders from really aggressively diving in, but on the horses that were more broke loose and had a lot of foundation training on them, had to use that outside rein not so much to stop their shoulders, but to stop their head from coming around yes. the toe all the time. Yes. It was like they were they were begging for us to let them into this like comfort zone. It was like giving an addict whatever it is that you know gives them their high, and in, in that case, it's being locked onto the toe onto my toe going around the circle like they needed to be and that's where I need to be to feel comfortable and you had to like catch them and oh no yeah. stop be here and they were lost and out of their element yeah. and again it goes back to taking them that deep is absolutely essential and I think one of the biggest reasons why is so you know that you can take them that deep if I think that is yes. a a huge part of it because a lot of people never do and they elope around, it looks great, but it's all fake. Because then the moment that something happens and they have to take a hold of them, then the horse you know, grabs the bridle, flips their head upside down, and runs off. Because all of that pretty look was fake to begin with. So yes, absolutely important in that beginning stage to take them that deep so you know that you can if you need be. And it makes taking them just to the point of their shoulders super easy. And the horse is like, huh, only to the point of my shoulder? Not all the way to your toe. I can do this all day. Like it, yeah. you know, it makes it easy. And like, oh, I'm super willing to do that. This this is easy compared to what we did before. Yes. And but it's a matter of making sure that you could, if necessary, take in that deep. But then there comes a point where you can say, all right, I've got that. This horse is not going to get any better now by continuing to work on that. I need to take this and then apply it practically. Let things kind of straighten up. Find him a job that I want to do. And let's start focusing on maneuvers for that, rather than continuing to try and re-oil all the grease spots that are already greased. Yeah, yeah. It's like you can get. I don't horse. think you want to re-oil the grease spots. You want to re-grease the little grease spots. You know, yeah, just yeah. Whatever. You're Exposing trying. my lack of automotive knowledge. <laughs> whatever. Whatever you're trying to say there. Yes, but Oiling no. Only the that's, oil spots and grease the grease spots.
0: That's what we're. <laughs> that's what we're getting at ultimately. Is that. If you don't move beyond that, it becomes a crutch to where it's kind of like you're hiding problems, and the horse gets in a bad habit of trying to disappear their head and their face from your hands whenever you make contact with their mouth, because they immediately just assume that you're gonna you're trying to bring them all the way around to your toe, and they're basically snapping off your hands and disappearing rather than accepting you taking a hold of them, because really what you're doing, if you're adding more vertical flexion or you're driving a horse into their face, you've got contact on two reins, you're really putting them in a little bit of a bind. You're trying to keep their body more more straight and collected underneath you. You're trying to move their entire body as one complete unit, still soft, but everything together. And you're basically keeping them in a bind rather than teaching, you know, that initial foundation stage is more about if you let it get out of hand it's about disappearing off the bridle whereas our focus was accept being put in that bind let us take a hold of you don't try to hide from that pressure so there's a balance there the the foundation work and doing that initially is essential but you've got to move on later otherwise the horse just uses that as a crutch and you never have like you know you try to do things like develop more collection more straightness through their body and all you've got is a gummy worm of a horse that is really soft and bendy and broken loose but you can't pick them up and go anywhere and so that's the danger there so we worked a lot on that during the clinic another uh, riding exercise you know we did a ton of transitions again working on those horses just being able to move out on a straight line do controlled transitions both up and down in speed that was a huge part of the clinic we did a whole bunch of work uh, at the some of the trot but a lot of loping sessions on that as well because there was a couple horses in the clinic that just didn't really lope very confidently you worked with one in particular that just you know it was kind of a problem horse anyways by no means you know, was it anybody's fault? That's just how it had come in for training. And it, it still needed some time yet. It was right. relatively green. And that's really what it needed is just a lot of that loping because it was, you know, kind of just showing a lot of things that mean horse is green, isn't confident to be loped on a loose rein, you know, as far as flipping its head around. And it was also just very overreactive to pressure, but not in a sense of it being just wild and out of control, it just hadn't been exposed to that enough. It hadn't been exposed to loping enough. It hadn't had enough pressure put on it yet. It was just green and how to handle it. And that, that horse needed a ton of loping on a loose rein and going forward, we'll need more of it and the transitions we worked on as well. Just getting it to move on a straight line with confidence on a loose rein, but also be taken a hold of and not get worried or bracy
1: or overreact to that pressure. Right, and I think um, if we would have had video of it, it would have been perfect just to kind of display how it was moving out and just show a horse that needs miles and miles and miles because you lope him off and you let him lope across the arena. And he, was, he would be really leaning, you know, left or right. Ducking, Usually in, Sucking yeah. back toward the gate. Not or sure horses. where to go. Yeah. Totally, yeah. Lost on where to go. He'd go fast and then he'd go really slow. And he'd do this thing where he'd like lope two strides normal and then one stride like real bracy and like suck back and then lope <laughs> two more strides forward yeah. and then another. He was still technically going forward the whole time, but it was like lope, he, lope, check up, lope, lope, check up the whole time. Do- and he was doing that
0: himself. He just hadn't developed right. enough natural rhythm or cadence he hasn't been loped enough yet on a loose rein he just didn't know where to go or what to do with himself right
1: and as he's moving out you know he's his nose is like flipping up so i go for i can see you know his ears and his pole and then all of a sudden i see two nostrils and then it disappears as he was going and all that behavior coming out was just that lack of confidence and not knowing what to do and so like literally we did we just for two straight days we just completely ignored everything, but just getting this thing loped out. Yeah, you just did a lot of cruising on a loose rein at the
0: lope, you did multiple loping sessions, um, and in fact, instead of, of bending transitions, which he wasn't ready for, you did a lot of like confused loping, where you know he'd massively lean or dive one way, so you just take him the
1: opposite, but then keep on loping. Exactly, you and know. the turns aren't pretty. But I don't care about the quality of the turn or whether he's cross-firing or in the wrong lead. It's so simple as you're leaning this way, we go the opposite way, and you stay loping. But, That's all we but care about. But it's about you're, you're on a loose rein, he dives one way,
0: you pick up, direct him the other way. And with then one rein. Yeah, with one rein. You tip his nose, get him that Make way. Make it and as then, simple
1: as possible
0: yeah. for him to understand. And then loose rein again. And again, he just need to have his confidence built. And the more loping sessions you did, that got better and better, but by no means was he completely broke by the end. He just needs more of it, like a couple weeks consistently of practice on that. Everyone, you know, all the other horses we rode were ready for what we showed them in the clinic with some catch-up needed or some special attention in areas. But that horse was a true example of one that was just too green, needed more foundation work done, just didn't know really how to lope confidently on loose rein which is an absolute essential cornerstone of any riding program like that's one of the big focuses we have uh, that we feel is extremely valuable just cruising around on a loose rein and then you know when, uh, in that horse's case if you're retraining one like that just that confused loping drill where they lean one way you just redirect them the other boom put them back on a loose rein and just go until they start developing some rhythm some cadence and they'll stride out with confidence rather than run 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 stop stop stops. you know like right uh he was just completely all over the place
1: mentally when you started out and i think it's important too to kind of tailor it's not a cookie cutter approach you kind no. have to tailor to each individual horse like we technically could have pushed this horse and done the same stuff that we were doing with all the other ones But for that particular horse, that would have, we could have faked it, Mm -hmm. but then it would have left, we would have left, and that horse would have completely fallen apart in several weeks' time and would be even worse than what it was before. Whereas we said, okay, you know, we'd love to do the fun stuff with it, but that's not what this horse needs right now. We just need to go back and spend some time doing the boring stuff, but the stuff that will, you know, basically we're just putting money in the bank. So that in the long term, you'll be able to cash out and you say, all right, now we got plenty of money, this great foundation that we can go and have some fun with. But right now, we have to kind of just do the boring stuff, put in the time and the miles to get there. The, yeah. to, you know, So matching him with the other horses is not the priority. It's no. tailoring it to whatever that particular need was at the time.
0: And I will say, you know, Tammy, uh, who... Uh, that roan horse that we're talking about, you know, she'd done a good job as far as that horse when it came oh, in there <laughs> was extremely overreactive, yes. and that that was a common theme as well. Is the thing this this horse was super overreactive to pressure, so she made a lot of progress with it. We get there, and by no means did we go in there and try to rock this thing's world off the bat. We did groundwork with it. We kind of dipped our toe in the pool multiple times because we didn't want to fry this thing's brain. We weren't sure how overreactive it would be. But with what Tammy had done previously, then we come in and kind of establish where this horse is at. We quickly see that, okay, yes, it, it wants to overreact to pressure. It's just not been exposed on enough levels. It hasn't been loped enough. It hasn't been you know it's just not soft enough it just you know anytime you go
1: to put pressure on it it's not a bad horse well, and it's means. just a snapshot in time it's yeah. not it's the the time that um that this horse had been worked and by the time we would got there everything was in line as far as where the horse was going with its program you know, the horse came in real bad shape yeah. as far as couldn't just, handle pressure fractious just a disaster and so it had been quite a you know a uh, process to get this thing turned around so by the time we got there this horse you know everything as far as where this horse was going it's programmed everything was in line and it was just that particular horse because it was so bad when it got in there the progress that it had made was quite you know slim compared to the other ones that we were using and so there was only so much that we could do but that's just a snapshot in time that's where that horse was in it's training program so we had to tailor what we did with it to meet, you know, where it was at in the training, but that just comes down to reality. Yeah. It's just at that particular point you can't rush stuff like that. It's not a knock to say, oh, this thing wasn't ready. No, when it showed up, it had a bunch of problems, and so it was, you know, as far as the program goes, it was where it needed to be at. Mm-hmm. That horse,
0: you know, just overall was a good example of a horse that started off super overreactive and was quote nervous on a surface level. And then with the work that Tammy had done with it, and then we get there, we expose it to some new things as well and continually, you know, keep trying to get this horse better. It's a very good example of a horse that on a, on the surface was kind of fidgety and overreactive, but actually at heart, it's true color of paint underneath was a lazy, you know, Good as she comes, you know, go as she comes, come as she goes type of a horse. like this it wasn't a bad minded horse by any means, actually kind of lazy underneath, but on a surface level, it just hadn't been exposed enough or or prepared enough. and like you said, obviously this thing has been on the right track what right what we well, did exposing it, just and needs, preparing it. it just needs more exposure is time. yeah it's, it's just a, a it's a time factor there. So anyway, that was, a, that was a good horse that, you know, it kind of fell outside of the, nor- the rest of the clinic uh, and the format we had for the rest of the class. But that, was a, that was a good example of one that, again, just needs more of a foundation before it can really move on confidently. It just needs more confidence, especially with that loping. Um, but again, that's just a consistency and time factor there. Um, that, that horse really didn't have any, any major attitude or any other behavioral problems, just needs more exposure, more right. time. Um, but, and then as far as the other riding stuff we did, you know, we, we touched uh, some on the second day and then heavily on the third day. We obviously were doing our bending with vertical, we introduced a, a little bit of counter bending, um, some two tracking as well, just trying to get a little bit more hind, control, hind quarter control in these horses. Um, and by then you know we we kind of had to with a couple horses do some counter bending anyways or at least try to get them to stand that inside shoulder up a little bit instead of be have such the propensity to dive in the moment you went to bend around in a circle and so then obviously we didn't spend a ton of time on this in the clinic but we talked about how the transitions and stuff we'd done before on a straight line you can incorporate your counter bending into that as well like you, you go to bend them down into a transition. You can turn that into a counter bend rather than just taking them in a direct circle. Um, and obviously, the more, the better, the more and the better two tracking you can get. Just the more hind quarter control you can have in general, uh, to where the horse isn't trying to run off with the shoulder and just completely take their shoulder that direction. But they'll actually move their hip over and keep their body straight. Is essential for a good lead departure good lead changes um, it ups just if you can up the level of body control if you're too tracking well it helps in so many different areas because there's a couple horses there that their habit was just we go on a circle so whatever direction we're going that's the lead I take you know that was kind of the way they they knew to pick up leads or you know and we see like we didn't really get into lead changes in this clinic but it's something I brought up when we were doing the exercise and why we think it's so important is because we see so many horses that they get taught to change leads by just being pulled and kind of flung on a, you know, they're like, say they're on a left circle, and the person just kind of pull and fling and kick them onto a right circle and get them to j- kind of jump into the change that way. And that gets, a, you start seeing really bad habits, either in changes or the lead departures where that horse is just rolling their spine and ribcage over and diving and leaning and ducking and you know they're like a crocodile doing a death roll in some ways rather than staying upright staying underneath you staying collected and actually moving their hindquarters and body over and staying straight instead of just jumping into it ignorantly with the shoulder you know or just or having to be pulled and kicked into it um so we we talked a lot about that we did a little bit of uh, so a circling exercise that we're gonna talk about a little bit later in the podcast, um, but we worked on some circling. And then as far as the cow work went, most of our time until the end of the third day, especially cause you know some of these horses in the clinic had never seen cattle, definitely weren't bred to be cow horses, but still massively benefited from the cow work anyway. And even the ones that had done it before, They really benefited from practicing just good fundamentals of creating movement, getting in position, stopping straight and stopping soft and collected, getting back when necessary, um, being able to pull those horses around softly and just not let your fundamentals and your body control and the horse paying attention to you go completely out the window just because you've put them on a cow. And that was, you know, a big learning curve for some of these horses is that even though they're focusing on the cow, and you allow some of that natural cow sense to a degree, when you do take a hold of them, they need to come back to you right away. You know, there's there's several instances where we kind of expose their, the horse's tendencies to just want to run through the person's hands, just mentally leave them, basically. And we spent a lot of time working on getting the horses to stop straight and correct and gathered up, use their hind end, uh, turn correctly, turn smoothly. We did some work on turnarounds in that clinic, but again, we mainly kind of introduced the good fundamentals and building blocks of it. We didn't spend a ton of time on it, um, but we, we worked on at least getting those horses to step around a little bit smoother and use their hind end and be more balanced and not so strung out, not, you know, letting their rib cage hang out to the outside until kingdom come, just come through the turn, gathered up and soft. Uh, we spent probably the majority of our time in the cow work sessions focusing on all that. A lot of it is literally just like we just took, we transplanted our everything we're working on in the dry work and just brought a cow into the mix. And then on the third day, we kind of opened up the throttle a little bit as far as, you know, actually working that cow but still
1: making sure we didn't throw our fundamentals to the wayside. And one exercise that we did that really benefited especially getting to the cow work especially when those horses would start kind of raiding with that cow and building up some speed and then you have to bring them to a stop is working on a stopping drill that really connected that draw just a light draw which is my closing my fingers connecting that with the horse using their hind end mm-hmm. not running through the bridle or plopping down on their front end but teaching them to respect that draw and think get back using my hindquarters, not be real bracy up front and let all my weight fall up on top of me yeah but get back on my haunches and respect that light draw and we did a lot of work on on a on drills that focused on that to help these horses and by day three we saw some good improvement. We started that though day one, yes, the stopping we, drill. But by, finally, by day three, taking those cows down the fence, we saw that pay off in a big way.
0: Yeah, we started off at the at the jog, you know, just working on basically draw to a stop on the on the rail. Um, just draw, being able to draw those horses to a stop with both hands. You pick up soft if they don't respond to it. Then we would pull them around into the fence, but not kick them around and and be ignorant about it. But basically say, hey, come here. So rather than doing a bunch of rollbacks up and down the rail, uh, we just got those horses to be thinking about. Okay, if if I don't, res- you know, I need to respect that draw because if I don't, they're just going to pull pull me around, and I'll have to get back on my hind in a little bit, and I'll have to bring my shoulders through anyways. So it's, it's a much more effective way of creating that mindset than just
1: ripping them back and hauling with both both reins. Well, the whole, the whole key to it is you don't want to just do a straight rollback and think, turn, go the other way. Yes, you're going to go the other way when you're done turning this horse around, but the whole point is when you just go on a loose rein and just close your fingers just gently and they don't respond to that, and you turn the horse into the fence, and you take them right into a turnaround, and you wait there in that turnaround until you feel them load up on their hind end. That's definitely yes. it's a it's a hard feeling to kind of initially experience when you're not used to that. But it's important to connect immediately with that draw. If they don't respect that, taking them into a turnaround and staying in that turnaround until they load up on their hind end, then going the other way because yes. you're trying to connect the draw with them using their butt. Draw, if they don't respond to that, you know, turn them
0: around on their back foot, kind of create that feeling of them getting back on their haunches. And then once we had that, then we'll come up out of it, bend them around, soften them up while driving them forward, and go back down the fence and, and do the same thing. And so then what started to happen was the moment that person would release their feet and draw that horse to, a you know go just make contact with that horse's mouth drawing him to a stop that horse would immediately think be soft and controlled up front and while balancing and getting back on their haunches and you know ready and responsive and uh, not just completely blowing through that stop or the main thing we saw rather than just running off was the horse would kind of awkwardly just pitch everything up onto their front end and just slam their front end into the ground you know basically come pogo stick hopping to a stop and we started getting these horses using their hind end for balance staying light and loose and soft up front and actually using themselves and staying collected
1: and another big thing that this exercise really did for a lot of these horses was getting the horse to respect a much more subtle pull, but getting the horse to do more and you as the rider do less. Yep. Just getting that horse to stop at a lope, just closing your fingers is going to translate in such a big way to when you're in an action packed situation and you're taking a cow down the fence. If I'm just loping along and there's no cow to distract me, nothing for the horse to focus on, but me and I have to, and I have to slide my hands down the reins and pull to get this thing to stop. Then, how is that going to translate to when the horse has his mind on raiding a cow, and all of a sudden I have to pull and turn? He's going to just run right through that because his motor is up and running and he's following that cow, especially at this stage. A lot of these horses really didn't understand that whole rate and they would just, the cow would run and they would just kinda say, alright we're running and you have to shut that down and if you had to really pull just in a perfect scenario with nothing to distract that horse just to get him to stop well as soon as he's got his mind on something else and you say alright come back to me, you really have to haul on it, you look like Haas Cartwright and Bonanza whoa there, you know, so if, if we can get them to respect at a lope that just gentle just draw of closing my fingers then when we translate that to a cow and that horse isn't quite understanding the whole rate thing is just like ooh chase game and you have to shut them down you won't have to haul off on them like you're trying to stop an 8 horse stagecoach exactly
0: exactly and it's just such you know like you touched on and I'll just make one final point about this you need to be able to in that situation especially if the, if the horse has their motor up, you need to be able to take a hold of them and bring them to a stop, but have it be controlled. Like, um, the reason why we didn't immediately start taking cattle down the fence and stuff is you don't do that on a horse that can't stop very well. You know, you, we had to have a controlled stop as our foundation for everything else. And a lot of these horses had very little concept of stopping at and using their hind end staying loose and soft up front and allowing us to just take a hold of them with just just by bringing our fingers in when we drew in both reins you know some of these horses to to stop and they they wouldn't even stop very well on day one and you're hauling in again like you're bringing a stagecoach into tucumcari you know uh whereas What we would do is we'd go down the fence, we give this horse a chance to respond if they don't. Again, we let the fence help us by pulling them into it, but then we continue pulling them around until they're on their back foot, they're turning around with some softness, they're stepping around correctly. So we've reinforced that feel and that spot that that they need to hunt for and what we're after. And so we're creating those mental habits so that when we add speed and we add intensity, and we go to take a hold, that's what's in their mind. That's what's pre-programmed. They're not thinking, kabam, bam, and you know, jam everything up, up front and pitch their weight over completely forward, totally out of whack, totally unathletic, totally unset up and unprepared to make another move. Rather, they're balanced, they're on their hind end, they're controlled, and above all, they're confident, because we're not sitting there ripping on their mouth. All we do is draw lightly, release our feet, they stop balanced and correct, and we're ready to turn and go with the cow or do whatever else we need to do it's like you you're getting to an athletic position where you can then make another move you know it's not like you're stopping out of if you stop out of control then you're screwed like everything just completely falls up falls apart at that point having a controlled correct stop is is one of the foundational pillars to everything else so we spent the majority of our time establishing that and it really paid off you know even the horses that had no cow sense whatsoever at least they were operating a lot better on day three and in fact uh that one horse uh, the gray one uh, of Brandon's was actually starting to get a little bit cow like it, it started actually figuring out the game and the the purpose that we were after not cow bred by any means but we built its confidence over the previous couple days um, and that went with the horses that knew what they were doing on a cow as well they just operated with a lot more softness and confidence and willingness to being taken a hold of they were just softer they were just better all around um because we're not ramming and jamming. We're focusing on fundamentals of stopping soft and correct. All right, let's talk a little bit more before we get into talking about that circling drill that we mentioned earlier. We want to cap the podcast off with that. But before we do that, let's get into a little bit more of our thoughts on yielding the hindquarters, hindquarter control. Our favorite
1: subject. Oh, time yeah. to
0: break out the soapbox, boys. <laughs> yes. And we've we've already had several people make fun of us for this because among the other phrases we're constantly using, um, our harping on hindquarter control has got to be like at the top of the list right. of the stuff that we consistently say. But we wanted to put it out there in hopefully a more concise way. Well, um, that's no chance of the happening. So, <laughs> but uh, anyways, yes, it's it's an extremely key core pillar of a lot of the stuff we do and the reason we even bring it up like to, to some people listening to us right now especially who have some of the same mentors as us or subscribe to some of the same theories this is gonna sound like old hat this is gonna sound like a given but they would be surprised that in the wider especially the performance source industry there's sort of an opposite mindset and an approach to hindquarter control, which is, again, it's one of those areas where we're kind of a little bit blazing a trail for ourselves because it's it's something that, you know, a lot of the really successful people, to be honest, don't focus as much on, um, but we feel like we need to to get the kind of feel in a horse that we like. Um, So we're, again, we're just spitballing our ideas. We're not saying we know everything Or that this is the way you know it's just the approaches that we find really valuable Um, but one thing that kind of surprised us work you know having the opportunity to go work for people who are really at the top of what they do that only do show horses you know they're not doing the clinics they're not doing anything else they're just focusing on show horses and they have almost not even a lack of focus but an aversion to Getting a lot of hindquarter control on a young colt, um, especially doing a lot of stuff that we're very used to and familiar with. A lot of disengaging the hindquarters. Um, you know, later on in the two year old year, we're doing a lot of side passing, two tracking, yielding the hindquarters on a straight line. Like we're continually pushing the envelope from day one on hindquarter control as an essential building block, whereas those guys really don't want to do a lot of that early on and so that was one area where we felt like you know there's valuable stuff being left on the table but when and we could go into a ton of details um, and I'm not saying their mentality is wrong obviously because they're massively successful in what they do but they have a totally different I wouldn't say totally different but very different feel that they're after as far as how their two-year-olds and how their
1: cults feel well it's almost like Uh, so the building the horse up as a two year old, it's almost like they build the horse up from the nose to the tail. And whereas when we're starting the colts, we almost go, we focus from the tail to the nose. Yes. Like we start at the hindquarters and work our way forward, and they'll start at the nose and then work their way backwards. Mm-hmm. And it's very different approaches, but. Like with everything, there's multiple ways to get from point A to point B. If we're yes. going from little middle of nowhere in Nebraska down to, you know, Texas for that clinic, there's many a way that we can get there, and every way will get you there. It's just a matter of how long it takes and, you know, which how you do it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, like there's some horses where we found
0: this to be more valuable than with others. Like, for example, I can remember several two-year-olds that I worked with where you know, obviously the program I was under was, like you said, you're almost building the horse from the head backward to where they focus on a lot of forward motion, a lot of follow the nose, but not very much on hindquarter control early on. But then you start training for maneuvers much sooner on those horses as well. And one thing I found interesting was in some cases, you know, you start teaching the turnaround, you've got horses with that have problems there you know, their hip, their inside hip is kind of in the way. They don't really know how to step around and clear themselves. They're just not very confident to where being able to dis, you know, you'd be told, well, you know, get the hindquarters out of the way, you know, use that inside leg, help them clear themselves, blah, blah, blah. And, it, you know, that would, that's a one of many instances where I thought, you know, if we were able to disengage this horse's hindquarters or, even in some horses, I found being able to disengage the hindquarters and bring the shoulders through was a better way to introduce the turnaround than just, you know, shaping them up outside the turnaround and driving them down into it. Where a lot of horses will take to that method and will find the answer, but some of them almost need an intermediate step or like some help to just find it. And there's some horses I found that that other way of starting with the hindquarters proved valuable for a time now you had to then move on from that but it was really valuable to break the ice for horses that were just especially like the fatter sort of stiffer or wider built horses um that are just always in their own way on the inside uh when you're doing when you're going into that turnaround i felt it was really helpful for for teaching them balance and a little bit of fluidness in how to just step around and clear themselves
1: right and i think it's using that yielding the hind end around and then bringing the front end through is such a great way to introduce the turnaround in the early stages because it breaks it up and makes it so easy for the horse to understand yeah you're moving the horse's hindquarters out of their own way and allowing them to bring the front end through so a You're setting them up physically in the easiest way possible to turn. You're getting their hip out of their own way. Yes. And then, B, you're working on making the turn the horse's idea because you're doing that time-honored tradition or that concept of pressure outside the maneuver, release in the maneuver. You're pressure, 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 moving the hind end around. Plus, you're making move that hind end your idea, mm-hmm. and then you're turning him loose and letting that front end come through, and you're leaving him alone, thus making that the easy yeah. part. And you're making it the horse's idea. So a lot of a lot of people will say, "Well, you know, that just sounds like it would make the horse swap ends really bad," but it actually, strangely enough, does the opposite because moving the horse's hind end becomes your idea, and it becomes the work. So then it's hind end, hind end, hind end, hind end, hind end, and then you're like, open the door, there you go front end, and the horse takes that little you know yeah. bait that you gave them, and it makes it their idea, and they don't want to move the hind end, because that was your idea, that's where the work was at, the easy part was letting that shoulders move through, and they get addicted yes. to, let to, they almost, as you're yielding, they're like begging for you to open the door, because they get addicted to that coming into that turnaround yeah they
0: gladly go through that door that you've set up you basically you set it up and stack the deck in your favor and then once you open that door they gladly take you up on that and
1: come through nice and smooth usually and one of the biggest aha moments I had about it was with an older horse this was a five-year-old and this thing to the left turned really nice I mean I'll probably Probably a a solid plus one on a good day. But to the right, this thing, (laughs) it turned a solid plus one if that turn consisted of its front feet being planted and its hind end spinning around. Like It spun fast just its hind end. Its front end was almost completely still. It was incredible. It was like as soon as you queued for the spin, the saddle would just... Like cartoonishly, slip out from underneath of you because that hind end moves so fast. And so it was, you know, it was a battle of, well, straighten everything up, straighten everything up, move the shoulder, move the shoulder, move the shoulder, shoulder, straighten the ribcage, straighten the ribcage, straighten the ribcage, side pass, side pass, whatever. And nothing was working, nothing was working. And so just for grins and giggles, I thought, well, maybe, maybe I'll make his idea my idea. So every time that I asked him to spin, every time the hindquarters would start to move, I would abandon the spin and take it right into a yield. So he offered the yield. And I said, no, 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 that's my idea. I'm, I do the yielding. And so I would yield the hindquarters, move it around, move it around, move it around, then offer the front end. And of course, then the hind end would move. And so I'd take the opportunity to say, oh, let's move the hindquarters. It was like every time he moved the hip, he got my attention and every time mm-hmm. he got my attention, I said, let's do my favorite exercise, which is yielding the hindquarters around. And so it just repeated that offering the, the shoulders to move. And then every time they did move, made a big deal of that, let him escape that pressure and release. But every time he offered to move the hip, then I took it upon myself to make it my idea. And in doing that, pressuring, moving that hip and then releasing, moving that shoulders, After about a week's time of doing that, maybe five, six days, he he flip-flopped and as soon as you'd ask for the spin, immediately he would offer with those shoulders and he'd stay in that spin because he knew and I would just add, over time, I would get one spin and then he'd fall out of it. and Then two spins and he'd fall out of it and I'd just slowly build. But eventually he understood that as soon as he offered the hip, I would take it upon myself to move the hip and make it my idea, and then release and let the easy part be that turn. And so he just got addicted to that turning because he knew as soon as that hip would fall out and he'd get lazy and just try to pivot on his front end, that I would turn that into the work mm-hmm. and then offer again that spin. Yeah, it seems counterintuitive, but you're really using
0: their psychology to your advantage a little bit. And another thing that I found as well, and this goes back to horses that they're getting in their own way, they don't really know how to balance themselves either, and they're just getting stuck. They're just having trouble in there. One, th- one other thing I found is that you can, like, especially those younger horses that have no idea where to go, you kind of almost prime the pump a little bit when you start yielding their hindquarters and disengaging them through in you know 360, you'll then just, you'll get a feeling like they'll take a couple steps and then you'll feel in their body that that little bit of rocking back onto their haunches a little bit, like that you'll feel them kind of naturally as you step that hindquarters around, there'll be a spot in there that they usually, 99% of the time, they'll find a spot as they're stepping their hind end around where they actually kind of come back and load up on their hind end a little bit. Now, you don't wanna carry that on until they just completely fall backward out of it, but you'll feel them load up a little bit, i.e. their hind end is getting a little bit, not sticky, but they're just right there, like just ready. you to then open the door for that shoulder and they'll bring it through nice and clean and it's a it's a good way initially to introduce and show that horse especially a young one this is the spot that i want you to to hunt for right here Um, and it works again like the the example you just gave older horses with bad habits it's been a proven way to tackle those as well. However, I will say though that it's a great way to problem solve and introduce the turnaround, but if you commit to that and just keep it's just like the, you know, the other things we talk about at a foundation level whether it's, you know, lots of lateral bending or whatever, if you only stay with that and you never start Moving beyond that and demanding more straightness out of the horse and start actually refining and polishing things and move beyond the teaching stage You then will create bad habits and you'll start getting in your own way where if you stay with this method and don't advance You'll start to see bad habits And this is where the people that do not want any of this coming near their two-year-olds This is what they always point to is that if you only do this You'll start to create bad habits of them sagging their ribs and just their body to the outside. They don't have enough forward energy in that turn. That it creates other bad habits if you do this too much and you don't ever advance beyond it, or you don't advance beyond it in a timely fashion.
1: No, and that's um, it's a valid point. Like it, yeah. it is absolutely hundred percent valid, and that's where it comes back to finding that you know it's almost like. Especially here, okay, a good example out here, when it snows and we have to find the yellow and the white line (laughs) so we can stay on the highway, it's the same thing. We have to find that fine line of how much is enough and how much is too too much. And there is definitely a point where it then becomes destructive to the ultimate goal that you're trying to produce. But that being said, in the beginning, I think it it makes leaps and bounds of improvement. It makes your job so much easier it it makes your job harder in the beginning to add the extra step
0: in but it pays off so much down the line but it's kind of like you know where we talk about doing a lot of transitions getting a horse to run more confidently especially when in terms of stopping all these other and the turnaround as well you know we do a lot of things that kind of will build the horse's confidence in increments uh whereas other people will just wanna they'll say well you know, if you stick with that step too long, it actually becomes destructive. So I'm just going to jump over that and go right to the maneuver itself and and just, you know, basically flood the horse or, or just take a big leap instead of that intermediate step, which I get it. And there's a point to be made for, you know, kind of poo-pooing these things that we've that we talk about, because it definitely does. It's it can be too much of a good thing. And um, so I get why people frown on it, but we think in the right dosage, yes. the right time, uh, and it also depends on the horse as well. Like like I just I talked about earlier, and you gave the that one example. There's certain horses that massively benefit from throwing this step in, and then there's other horses that you could get by with not doing it. They're just exactly. that, they're that talented and good-minded that you can just start off and they will nat- they'll find that spot and they'll start turning around real nice very quickly whereas other horses you know you might have to just help them in that area a little bit more so it's very dependent on the horse as well um, but we find a ton of value in it overall All right just to cap off our podcast with something you know, a little bit more advanced, not super advanced, but it's something that we touched on in the clinic that uh, you can, it's just a general drill that you can throw in a lot of modifications to that we found to be extremely valuable. So we won't, you know, dither on it for too long, but we want to touch on it because it goes, it goes hand in hand with a lot of the transitions on a straight line that we did both in this clinic and that we really love it just in our overall program, it basically takes those ideas and puts it on a circle because our idea of being able to run a circle, whether you're you know, running it fast or slow, um, but especially if you want a horse to run a circle hard, but with confidence on a loose rein, stay on the track that you put them on and stay in frame and not be scared or skitterish to operate at that speed, you need to build their confidence in the same way. You need to teach that responsibility to stay on that track that you put their feet on in the same way that you do on a straight line. So we, you know, again, the circle is just like the straight line, although the straight line we feel is important to teach first. Then when you start circling, you kind of have the same psychology though, that you put the horse on that track on basically a loose rein, the idea is to teach him responsibility for maintaining that curve and that circle. If he comes off of it, um, for example, if he wants to dive in, you're gonna pull him around the opposite way. Or if he wants to leave, you pull him around into the circle. And you basically um, you know, overcorrect it in a sense, like really reinforce in his mind that the circle is where you wanna be, that's where you have the, the least amount of of uh, pressure, that's the comfortable spot. And if you leave, if you dive in or you go out, I'm gonna bend you around, either, you know, if you leave the circle, I'm gonna do a bending transition to the inside of the circle. If you dive in, I'm gonna do a bending transition out to the outside of the circle, then put you back on there. So you're basically making the right thing easy, the wrong thing more difficult. If he goes to leave that circle either direction, you're bending him around, you're softening him up, you're reinforcing your control and that leaving the circle is the the more difficult, harder choice. Staying on the track you placed him on is, is his best bet. And that's where he's gonna be the most comfortable. So then you'll get a horse that, again, he'll circle confidently and you can keep pushing the envelope on speed, just like we talked about before,
1: but you're doing it on a loose rein where you don't have to micromanage him. Right, and that's it, it really accomplishes two two main goals. One is, like you said, it gets them mentally responsible for staying on that circle and getting them to where you can pitch them on a loose rein, and they stay on there, and they find that circle on their own to where you don't have to hold them in place. Because every time they lean in or out, you let them commit to that, and then you bend them the opposite way. You break them down to either a walk if they're really green or maybe or jogging a circle if they're a little bit more advanced taking them the opposite way softening them up and then putting them back on the circle but the number 2 what you're doing is you're practicing taking them from the lope and then taking a hold of them either direction left or right it's especially nice if you're say on a left lead and they lean let's say to the inside and you have to bend them take them to the right off of whatever lead they were on, you really find a lot of stiffness there. If you're on a left lead, and then you try to circle them down to a walk or a jog to the right. You're gonna find a lot of resistance there, and you're working on being able to take a hold of these horses, but not in a scenario where you're potentially getting into a fight where you're pushing them out of the comfort zone, adding speed, and then you're trying to soften them up vertically, taking a hold of their face you're taking them on the circle, you're pushing them out of their comfort zone because they're, they're not used to not having anyone there to tell them where to go or where to be. And then when they do leave, you're bringing them back and you're softening them up, but you're taking a hold of them, but you're bringing them down to a speed that you know that they can handle. You're slowing them down mentally, softening everything back up, suppling them around your inside leg and then you're putting them back on that circle and loping them off again, building up that speed. Because with speed, the increase or the decrease affects how fast or slow they are working mentally. The more speed you add, the faster everything turns mentally. The less speed you add, the slower everything goes mentally and you give them more time to think. And you want that horse to lope around and if they lean left or right, and once the horse is pretty good, I'll just do it randomly on the circle and you want that horse to just melt down there like like you know warm butter that you've just pulled out of the microwave just melt and just be pliable because the more the the less resistance he has about being taken a hold of left or right and going from a into a downward transition from the lope into a jog or to a walk then when you do go and you take a hold of him with both hands you're going to have knocked so much resistance loose that when you take hold of him both hands, you're setting yourself up for so much more success in the long term. I'm not going to say they're going to do it perfectly because they won't. But you're going to be leaps and bounds ahead of the game taking him vertically Mm -hmm. because you knock so much of that stiffness loose. And how will you know that you've done enough of it? Well, when you take him left and right from that lope down into that walk or that jog, if you're immediately met with that head and neck comes up, or you can just see in their eye that it gets really wide, like, oh, what are we doing? Or they get real bracy with their front end. As you take them down, dead giveaways, that you still have a lot of blocks of, it comes out as physical resistance, but it's not. It's mental resistance, Mm -hmm. and that is what you're getting out of them. So that when you do, after you've gone left, right, left, right, and you've got to the point where you can take a hold of them and they just melt, then when you go straight and you take them vertically, and you keep them straight from their nose to their tail, maybe just tipped in just a little bit on the circle, you've knocked all those mental or as many mental blocks of resistance as possible loose that when you do take a hold of them, the horse has at least some idea to give and soften because you've proven to him over and over again, when I pull you give, when I pull you give. Now when you ask it vertically, you've set the horse up mentally, you've made him trainable Mentally because you've broken down all those barriers, and so he's ready to accept that different pull And it's Mm -hmm. going to make your job so much easier Especially when you add speed because you've knocked loose all those kinks left and right exactly and what you talked about I think is so valuable especially
0: you know having done having taught circling this way a lot having done these transitions so much it does when you go to start taking them more vertical using two hands Um, because what we're talking about really is finding the starting point and you're literally when they leave the circle in the beginning you're just bending them around with inside inside leg an exercise for introducing yes this is this is how you introduce the circling but then when you go to and even when for example I'll have my horse to where they're not leaning anymore they're running the circle with confidence I'll start practicing you know taking a hold of them in the middle or at any point on that circle I take a hold of them and draw them back to me they melt and slow their feet down uh, and I can take them on a smaller circle or I can break them down all the way I can do anything the point is they're soft and they're pliable not really physically so much as mentally where they're accepting being taken a hold of and they're confident about it they're not being surprised they're not being resistant Uh, And they'll only leave the circle, but they're also confident to where if I take a hold of them They're not in trouble necessarily and that's the whole point of when you start off in the initial stages You know bending them around if they're leaning or ducking in, in or out of the circle You're correcting it, but in a way that reinforces good mental habits. You're not kicking on them You're not just yanking them around you're reinforcing Every just what we've what we've constantly parroted and bleated about in a lot of our podcasts like in this this exercise is another example, just like the transitions on a straight line, which is really that applied to a circle it's the same psychology um i've used the i've used kill two birds with one stone five ten birds with one stone i'll just say. <laughs> you're killing a flock of birds with one stone because you're teaching good mental patterns you're creating mental softness uh, what we call mental softness you're teaching responsibility for speed and direction like we've talked about a lot you're building confidence with them being taken a hold of you're teaching them to to and this is the big key is that you're teaching them to be confident but also think and stay soft and pliable to you even when running hard, even when operating at speed, when there's more of a propensity for their mind to just go out the window, the harder and faster you go, you're building their confidence to where even if they're running hard, they're still soft and mentally on you and with you, but still focused on their job, which is where I need to stay on the circle. You know, you just, you arrive at that point, the more consistently you work on it this way, and again, you don't have to micromanage and hide their diving and leaning ways. They, they're broke to the circle. Like they know where they're supposed to be at, at a certain point, but it starts off just you know basically putting them on a loose rein and having, what would you describe it as? Sort of a feel in your body and also you're guiding with your hand where to go, but you're not micromanaging their face. And if they leave that feel, if they ignore that feel and that track and they just leave, Bend them around, put them back on it. At you know, just give them a chance. They make a mistake, correct it, put them back on track. Ask you know, give them another chance. Rinse and repeat until they find
1: it. Yes, you're as the rider, you're giving the horse direction with your body, but you're by no means trying to cover up mistakes and hold him in place or help him. But again, you're not just going to sit there. Half asleep and give him zero direction. Like mm-hmm. you're riding with a purpose on that circle, but you're not protecting him and trying to keep him on that circle and expose, you know, him leaning left and right. And then one big thing we see a lot of is people will go and they'll do a great job on, let's say, the left circle and they'll really expose the weak points and they'll fix it and they'll get this horse to where you know after a session or two he's quite dialed in, let's say, to that left circle. And then they go you know, and they'll work on the right circle, well, they carry over the expectations that they finished off the left circle with and they'll carry those over to the right circle. Rather than starting over with a complete new horse and taking what the horse gives you and adjusting your program accordingly, they go and they say, okay, well, the, to the left I finished off my session with one complete circle where he stayed there responsible the whole way. And then they go and expect that on the right circle and they either get frustrated and they start getting really aggressive with the horse or to kind of put a band-aid on the problem they hold on to the horse kind of subconsciously and force him to stay on the circle and so they never can get one quite as good as the other because they've either a gotten really aggressive and frustrated and ruined his confidence or to try and mask the issue and, and make it quickly match what they had in the other circle They just hold on to the horse and it never gets quite as good. The key is to stay disciplined about treating each circle as a different horse and exposing riding with a purpose on the circle, but not covering it up and trying to micromanage and bump on him or whatever, or pull on the rein subtly. No, let him expose those weaknesses because that's a good thing. You want those weaknesses exposed so that you can work on them. And doing this exercise is... Again I can't stress this enough this is a great way to introduce the circling and the beginning state the beginning of it speed is the last thing on your mind you add that as the horse gets confident but this is a confidence building game and yes once the horse is confident with that I'm going to adjust my corrections where when I can take a hold of him left and right and he just melts and just you know breaks loose without that resistance, Then I can start steering him across my circle or steering him into a circle and then heading across my circle or then later on taking him into a turnaround and making it more of an aggressive correction when he knows his job but that's not the point right now. It's a confidence building game and so my only concern is getting him to where he stays responsible on that circle and lets me take a hold of him left and right thank you guys once again for listening to the
0: project horse podcast we hope you've enjoyed it and got some value out of it as far as the training stuff goes you want to find out more about us uh, if you're not familiar or you want to suggest different topics things you want us to cover questions you want us to answer on the show hit us up either in the comments or a private message just find us on facebook facebook.com slash and shoot us a message we'd be happy to speak with you thank you again for listening Have a great day.